Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 29. Thank you for the music. Sir Dinadan, the knight with a sense of humour, rode through a forest minding his own business. There he met a knight fleeing from another knight. The knight clearly needed rescuing, but Dinadan wasn't really in the mood. Fortunately, there were a couple of other knights riding out that day who did the deed. They defeated the aggressor and set the victim free. The freed knight, whose name was Sir Dalan, thanked his rescuers and then rode over to Sir Dinadan and asked who he was. I am Sir Dinadan, friend to Sir Tristram of Lyons and Sir Lamorak of Wales. You are the man who killed my father, replied Sir Dalan, and you shall die. Sir Dinadan probably felt even more pleased he hadn't played any part in the rescue of Sir Dalan. He raised his lance, ready to meet Sir Dalan's challenge. A comedy knight he may have been, but Sir Dinadan was by no means a poor fighter. He overthrew Sir Dalan easily, breaking the recently rescued knight's neck. The two knights who had rescued Sir Dalan then challenged Dinadan, and he beat them both. Then he rode off to Joyous Guard to spend some time with Lancelot. Little did he know that he had sealed his fate. The two knights picked themselves up and dusted themselves down. Then they swore revenge on Sir Dinadan, both for the defeat and because he was declared friend of Sir Lamorak. And who were these two knights? Well, they were the second and fifth of the Orkney brothers, Sir Agravain and Sir Mordred. Meanwhile, in Cornwall, Sir Tristram was having a fine time. He was able to meet with La Belle Isoude, and King Mark had not tried to harm him. He wrote many letters to his friends at Camelot, and they wrote back. Lancelot warned him to be ever vigilant, as he didn't trust King Mark one iota to keep his vow not to harm Tristram. Unfortunately, by treacherous means, some of the letters were redirected to King Mark. The evil king decided enough was enough. The feud with Tristram was back on. This time, though, the King of Cornwall decided to play the longer game. Instead of directly threatening his nephew, he plans to cause upset in Camelot. Maybe if King Arthur, Sir Gawain and Sir Lancelot were occupied with their own troubles, then they'd be looking the other way when he moved against Sir Tristram. King Mark wrote some letters. Arthur read his letter and frowned. It warned him that his wife was misbehaving with one of his knights. Arthur thought of the shield that Tristram had worn to the Tournament of the Hard Rock. He thought of his sister, Morgan Le Fay, and how she had warned him about Lancelot and Guinevere. Then he decided that both Morgan and Mark were his enemies, and they must be trying to put ideas in his head. Guinevere was a good and faithful wife, he knew that. He dismissed the thoughts from his head and threw the letter away. Guinevere panicked when she got a very similar letter and sent it immediately to Lancelot. Lancelot read the letter and fumed. He grumped up to bed and left his guest, Sir Dinadan, on his own. Sir Dinadan read the letter. When Lancelot came down, Dinadan asked him what was going on, and Lancelot confessed all. Sir Dinadan was filled with righteous anger on his friend's behalf and decided he was going to do something about it. So, let's have a guess what Sir Dinadan decided to do about it, shall we? Did he write back to King Mark, telling him to stop spreading rumours or else? Did he mount his horse and ride to Cornwall to challenge King Mark to a joust? Did he arrange a tournament where the knights could defend the honour of Camelot against the King of Cornwall? No, no and no. Sir Dinadan took a quill, sat down at a desk and wrote a song. Having written the song, he talked it to a harp player called Elliot, who was instructed by Dinadan and Lancelot to go to Cornwall and play it. And not a moment too soon. 
Tristram was still enjoying himself in Cornwall. He didn't have much to do with King Mark, but he saw a lot of Isoud. He took part in a few tournaments, which he always won. At one, though, he received a spear wound, which required him to take a couple of weeks off for a bit of a rest. While he was resting, the castle at Tintagel came under attack from an army from the land of Sessione, led by Elias, a fine and honourable captain-at-arms. King Mark raised an army, but his barons told him they would not be strong enough without Sir Tristram. But King Mark hated Tristram. He had been forced to allow him into Cornwall, and promised he wouldn't harm him, but he still hated his nephew. He would have done anything not to ask for Tristram's help. Anything, that is, except lose his kingdom, and that was what was about to happen. Through gritted teeth, and against every instinct in his evil little body, he sent a message to Tristram and asked him to come, yet again, to the aid of Cornwall. Tristram replied he would come, but they'd have to wait a couple of weeks until his wound had healed. King Mark's army held the Sessions at bay for two weeks. Sir Dinas the Seneschal led the army well and fought bravely. In the end, though, many of them were slaughtered, and the rest retreated behind the safe walls of Tintagel. Another message was sent to Tristram, and by now he was well enough to come. With ten other knights of the round table, he marched towards his uncle's castle. They ploughed their way through the Sessions. Tristram slew one man with a single swipe of his sword, and then struck down three more. All eleven of the knights killed another man each, and a path opened up. Sir Tristram and his men entered Tintagel. The next morning the battle resumed. Elias called for King Mark to come out and fight. Sir Tristram replied they would not fight that day, but would come out and do battle the following day. Elias turned around and smiled, content he would have his day on the field. During the night, Tristram slipped out of Tintagel and down to the shore. There he set fire to the Sessions' ships. When Elias saw what had happened, he realised it was the work of Sir Tristram of Lyons, and he became just a little less confident. In the morning, the Cornish force erupted from the gates of the castle. Sir Tristram led from the front, killing two knights with a single spear. He then killed a knight with a sword stroke from his right hand, and another from his left. He was everywhere. King Mark, on the other hand, was knocked from his horse and had to be remounted by Sir Dinas. The fight went on until nightfall, leaving many dead on each side. Tristram was badly wounded and had to retire from the battlefield to recover. Elias sent a note to King Mark, saying they should settle the matter by single combat. King Mark was to find a knight who would challenge him personally. Of course, none of the knights of Cornwall were willing to take him on, and Tristram was wounded. Nevertheless, the great knight raised himself and stood before the barons. I am sorely bruised and badly hurt. Despite this, I will fight Elias. I will beat him and free Cornwall from this threat, or I will die trying. Fetch his messenger and tell him the challenge is accepted. I will fight him tomorrow. The following day, both armies gathered expectantly. Tristram rode on to the field, looking every bit his usual confident self, but he was troubled. His injuries were worse than he had first thought, and he felt faint and light-headed. Elias, on the other hand, looked to be in perfect health. They fought long and hard, but Elias began to get the upper hand. After an hour or two, he was landing twenty blows to every one from Tristram. King Mark turned away. The Cornishmen began to lose heart. Only La Bellissude looked on with hope in her heart. Something in Tristram made him remember Isoud. Something about the memory filled him with superhuman strength. He raised his shield and smashed it into Elias, 
and then followed it up with his sword. The tables turned. Now Tristram was landing twenty blows to every one from his opponent. Elias's blood stained the earth. King Mark began to laugh. The Cornish cheered. Elias fell. "'Yield to me, fine knight,' said Tristram. "'You are a great fighter, as good as many I have met. "'Maybe as good as any, except Sir Lancelot.' "'It was too late, though. "'Elias dropped to the ground, face down in his own blood, and died. "'His army went home. Cornwall was saved. "'King Mark just hated Tristram even more. "'His nephew had saved him again, "'but it just made Mark more jealous and more angry.' Again he vowed he would rid the world of Sir Tristram of Lyons. A party was held to celebrate the victory. The party was treated to some unexpected entertainment. As it was in full swing, Sir Dinadan's harpist strode in. He sidled up to Sir Tristram and told him what he had been asked to do. Tristram smiled at the thought of his great friend and then laughed when he heard about the song. He told the harpist he could play the song and he'd stand up for him if there was any trouble. The song told all about how terrible and treacherous King Mark was. Tristram, sorely wounded though he was, giggled throughout. Mark, on the other hand, was livid. "'How dare you sing such disgraceful words in front of me?' he demanded. "'Sir, I'm a minstrel, and I was commanded by Sir Dinadan, a knight of the round table, to sing before you.' "'Get out of my sight, you vile knave!' raged King Mark." The minstrel left armed with letters from Tristram to Sir Lancelot and Sir Dinadan. Tristram smiled to himself at King Mark's consternation. Mark simply became more determined to have Tristram killed. But soon he had something more important on his mind. The Saracens landed in Cornwall. Tristram was far too badly hurt to help this time, so the fighting was left to King Mark's brother, Prince Boudouin. It seems that the prince may have learned some of his fighting techniques from the Romans, because he put the Saracens to flight using a clever trick. He set fire to three of his own ships, and then pushed them into the middle of the Saracen navy. The Saracens' mighty boats burned like matchwood, and the invaders fled. King Mark sent for his victorious brother, who turned up at Tintagel, expecting a hearty pat on the back and a nice drunken party. What he got was a very sour-faced brother. "'Why didn't you wait till I arrived before scattering the Saracens?' asked King Mark. "'I see you wanted all the glory for yourself. "'You have put me to dishonour, and not only that, you love that devil, Sir Tristram of Lyons.' "'With that, King Mark took out a dagger and stabbed his brother through the heart. "'Prince Boudouin fell to the floor, dead. "'The poor prince's wife, Anglades, fled the country with her son, Alessandro le Orphelin. "'King Mark sent a knight called Sir Sadoc to catch up with the fleeing pair and kill them. Sir Sadoc had no trouble chasing down a fleeing woman and boy, and he was with them in an hour. When he reached them, though, he didn't kill them. He'd had no intention of killing them. He told them to flee and not return until Alessandro was old enough to avenge his father's death. Then he returned to Tintagel and told King Mark he'd done the deed. Anglades and Alessandro travelled to the place we now call Arundel in Sussex, and was received by the constable. There they stayed until Alessandra was old enough to become a knight. Not many years passed before the boy was old enough. On the day he and some other knights were knighted, Anglades presented him with his father's bloody shirt and told him what had happened to him. One of the other new knights rode to Cornwall and told King Mark that his nephew was still alive and had just been made a knight. The king froze with fear. 
Then he regained his senses and pointed at Sir Sadoc. Traitor knight, knights of Cornwall, kill this fiend. Four knights drew their swords and advanced on Sir Sadoc, but he killed all of them. Sir Tristram watched as this was going on. He sent a letter to Sir Alisander, telling him to go immediately to the court of King Arthur, where he would be safe. He wrote to Lancelot, asking him to look after the young man. King Mark had communications of his own. He sent a message to Morgan le Fay, asking for her help in ensuring that Sir Alisander did not escape. Sir Alisander dallied on his way to London to join the court of King Arthur. Being a new knight, he couldn't resist the pull of a tournament. He did very well and caught the eye of a young woman. She asked him to come with her and fight against a knight called Sir Malgrin, who was keeping her from marrying. Alisander went with her and fought against the rugged old Sir Malgrin. The elder knight had already killed twenty others who had challenged him on behalf of the young lady, but Alisander's youth was too much for him. Every time he was hit, the young man sprang to his feet and carried on. In the end, he simply outlasted Sir Malgrin. The older man hit the ground with a sickening thud, after which Sir Alisander sliced off his head. Alisander was taken to the lady's castle, where he was treated for some terrible wounds. His nurse, though, was not the kind of nurse you would want. His nurse was King Arthur's sister, Morgan le Fay. She smoothed ointment into the wounds, and the pain went away. Then she gave him a drink, which made him sleep for three full days and nights, and spirited the young man away to her castle. When he awoke, Morgan le Fay was leaning over his bed. "'Do you want to be whole again?' she whispered. "'Of course,' replied Alessandra, who had no idea who she was. "'Who wants to be hurt?' "'I will make you whole,' said Morgan. "'But you must swear an oath. "'You must stay here in this castle for twelve months and a day. "'If you don't, then your injuries will all reappear, and you will surely die.' "'As soon as Alessandra uttered the words of agreement, he regretted them. "'It meant he wouldn't be able to avenge his father's death any time soon.' Morgan could come and go as she pleased without having to have anyone guard her prisoner. If he left, he would be badly wounded. Checkmate to Morgan le Fay and King Mark. Except that it wasn't. A few days into his captivity, a young woman visited the castle. Morgan was not there, and the lady went to see the young knight. Now listen to me, she said. I'm a cousin of Morgan le Fay. This castle should be mine. My uncle, who hates Morgan more than any other person wants to destroy it because there are many evil customs that take place here. One day soon, he will come here and set fire to every room in the place. You must escape to the garden while the castle burns, and then you must leave. The curse will not be set in motion if you have a part of the castle with you. You must cut a square of turf from the garden and take it with you wherever you go. Alessandra nodded. It sounded like a fine plan to him. The day soon came when Morgan was again absent. Alessandra left by a small gate and entered the garden. There he found his horse and armour waiting for him. He carefully cut a square of turf from the garden and watched as four hundred knights stormed into the castle and set every room on fire. Alessandra watched for a little while and then rode away. The knight with the turf knew all he had to do was keep the grassy square with him for the rest of the year and a day and he'd be free. He rode for a while and then pitched his pavilion and settled down for a rest, carefully putting his magical turf where he could see it. Before too long, another pavilion was pitched next to his. In it was a young woman known as Alice Labelle Pilgrim. 
Alice was from Benwick, and was a cousin to Sir Lancelot. She had just come from the court of King Arthur, where she had declared she would marry any knight who could defeat in battle the knight who kept the turf. It seems that Alessander's reputation had grown while he was in Morgan's castle, or maybe it was just a clever ruse. Maybe Alice simply wanted to meet the turfy knight. If that was the case, then she certainly succeeded. Alessander was a bit dubious about the whole thing, until he asked Alice to lift her veil so he could see her face. She asked him to do the same with his visor. Both did, and both liked what they saw. Alessander battled brave knight after brave knight. First came Sir Vaines, and then Sir Harvis. Both were defeated. Sir Perrin de Montaigne tried and failed. The cunning Sir Mordred tried to lead Alessander into a trap in the forest, but Alessander drew his sword. Mordred decided not to fight, and rode away. Every day for the remainder of the year, Sir Alessander fought with knights, and he beat all of them. He was always careful to take good care of his piece of turf. When the twelve months and a day were over, Alessander was free. Alessander travelled to the land of Benwick, and there he married Alice. None of the other knights had beaten him, so he had won the lady. Alice was very pleased indeed. The two lived very happily, and soon had a son. He was named Belengeris. Alessander was free, but he didn't go to Cornwall and take his revenge on King Mark. Maybe it was checkmate to King Mark and Morgan le Fay, after all. Next time, Sir Tristram will leave Cornwall for good, and one of our favourite knights will meet a grisly end. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to leave any feedback, then please contact me by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com, or go over to Facebook and friend me, Paul Vincent Myth and History. And if you'd like to check out any other great history podcasts, then head on over to historypodcasters.com, where you will find a wide variety of excellent podcasts on a whole range of topics. The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights will be back in two weeks' time, so until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.